Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 65. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by the White Claw talisman, Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. I don't have a White Claw tonight. Do you get the reference, though? I, I get the card reference. Okay, good. That's In my favorite relation to set. White Claw. Yeah, I, I, yes, I, I absolutely <laughs> got it. Yeah, man. I, I was actually struggling for something to come up with because I haven't really talked to you this week. You've been busy, huh? So I wanted to do the intro this week because I was going to make a reference about the picture that you posted in the Discord about you at the Renaissance Fair. All right, so here we go. 10987654321. Go for it. Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 65. I'm joined tonight by the wily wizard, Ian <laughs> the pubed face trying to think of something that rhymes with wizard or that would be related with a p the pubed face whatever you had stuff all over your face at a ren fair in a robe <laughs> and it was awesome browse fryer boris that was me was that was that you yeah that was what i was going by for the day yeah <laughs> i didn't run into your boy jeremy no he was working there that day he helped yeah, me yeah uh, said i wanted to give a shout out to him because he helped me get my elliptical machine out of my old place so now we're 100% done over there, and I have an elliptical to put together here. But man, does it feel good to be at least halfway done unpacking. Rob, you ever gone to the Ren Fair? I have. I've been there two or three times. To the one in uh, Carver? To, yeah, to King Richard's Fair. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's called King Richard's Fair? Yes, they're not all called King Richard's Fair. Oh, okay. I've been to that specific one. I haven't been to any others. Gotcha. It's pretty sweet, man. It's fucking huge. It It is a fun day, for sure. I didn't think I was really going to enjoy it, like this whole cosplay thing. Like, everybody got Knights of Templar costumes, and I didn't get anything, and I felt bad the night before, so I got that fire costume. And a lot of people were, like, taking pictures with me and shit. I didn't understand the references, but it, supposedly I look like different characters, so. Yeah, I think most people don't dress up when they go there. So you, you went hard. For sure. I would say it was at least 25%, man. It, it was a it was a Game of Thrones weekend, so there was a lot of, like, Daenerys's and Jon Snow's and shit. I got you. Lots of disappointed people. Yeah. <laughs> going to act out what they thought should have happened in the last season. I get it. We had to. Yeah, exactly. We had to make a getaway, though, man. We had we had the cops trailing us through that place by 4 o'clock. It was a, oh. quite, quite the shit show. Yeah, they, least... they sell yard... Yards of beer, yeah, and uh, they go down pretty easily. Indeed, not not as good as White Claw though. No, well, what is though? It's you're right. I still haven't had a White Claw. So I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. You didn't have one the night we we live casted. No. Oh, that's right. You had like four Miller Lights. I had six Miller Lights. Yeah. Yeah. What uh? So what was your uh your legacy plan this week? Did you get a Did you get a lot of legacy done? <laughs> that's funny <laughs> i uh i found out so this is actually funny i was cleaning up the old apartment after i uh broke apart the elliptical and got it out with a bunch of help and uh i just found a legacy deck uh tucked in the corner so my legacy eldrazi deck is now in my new house instead Sweet. of being left in my old apartment which would have been awful would you have even noticed it uh not until i tried to find my extra city of traders and and other things like that. Oh yeah, true. Yep. Those things are like 150 bucks now. Yeah, yeah. It's out of uh, control. Yes, they are. So yeah, I uh, similarly 
Uh, I've just been playing Throne of Eldraine draft, if, if you can believe that. I, I was obviously busy with this. Uh, we stayed down in Carver on Saturday night, so I only got to play on uh, Thursday night and Sunday night. But uh, I'm six drafts in, man. I don't know how I feel about this format, honestly. Like, uh, I'm kind of that way with like music, too, and other things. Like, It takes me a while to, to figure out how I feel about it. But uh, I'm not doing terribly well. I only have one trophy so far. And, uh, yeah, the games, uh, I don't feel like I have a good grip on it. So I'm looking forward to playing a lot more. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to have an opinion on things early that's like super, super strong one way or another. Yeah, but, usually if I like something right away, I'll get sick of it, you know? Okay, I can, I can get behind that. When I saw the music in your intro, I thought you were going to bag on me for not going and ripping off of our intro music and accidentally leaving in our countdown. Oh, fuck, that was what my intro oh, was supposed okay. to be. <laughs> so I'm glad I reminded you. I forgot about that. Yeah, I was going to call you the maestro. That, that was a good one. Okay. Just download it. <laughs> So yeah, we uh we actually got I got I fielded a couple complaints about that. Somebody had like Twitter messaged us or something like a couple weeks ago and was like, yeah, the intro music's the best part of your cast. Like, don't ever change it. And since then, it just hasn't been a part of the podcast at all. You're absolutely right, and that's my <laughs> fault. I take full responsibility for that. It's all good, bro. We can't spoil people, you know. Yeah, you know what we we can function. Like the 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 less our intro music gets played, the the stronger it is. Because maybe this week, if I go and put it in, people will be like, "Yeah, I missed it," and then we'll take a few more weeks off and we'll put it back in. It's not like people can just go listen to our old episodes and then cut back to this one and still Bro, have I, that intro music. I it, honestly don't remember what our intro music sounds like. Do you? Well, I'm not gonna sing it, but I, I got oh, it. I got it in my head. Trying to get you. Yeah. Uh, so we had a couple events this weekend. We had uh, an MKM in Barcelona, uh, apparently, and also uh, Legacy Challenge, like any other week. But I thought that they were noteworthy, mostly because of the lack of Ren. Like last week, we, we were talking about how, or mostly two weeks ago, I guess, we were talking about how Rug Delver is just ascendant to the top of the metagame, and what decks would you bring to compete with it. And now this week we're seeing these these big events that these uh these two top eights that we have where Delver and Ren are just absent. Yeah, and I mean I thought I thought that after the SCG, this sort of disappearance of rug because decks that preyed upon it would start to rise up was gonna happen last week. And obviously like it's it's way more pronounced when you see decks perform well at a GP that triggered people to try to play things that had a positive rug matchup. And I think that's kind of what we see. Even though we see like Blade take it, we saw Dredge and Black Red and uh, some other decks that have a pretty good rug matchup come in the top eight. Yeah, there was a, a lot of combo relatively relative to what we've been seeing lately where combo is, was down to like 20%. Uh, we saw... Two ant decks in the top eight of the the MK on Barcelona, and then yeah, like you mentioned, we saw Dredge and Black Red in the top four, and also Tess uh, Bryant was in the top eight of the challenge. So we have we have the Leaving a Legacy event coming up uh, toward the end of October, and it's like kind of like a Halloween themed Legacy tournament, 
And I was thinking of dressing up as Bryant Cook, wearing a shirt and tie with a nice with a nice pullover over it, wearing a Mets hat with my hair nice and done, and playing the Epic Storm, and referring everybody to theepicstorm.com. Is that what you're gonna do? I might do it. I, I'm not. Go, I think I just spoiled it, it. I think I just spoiled it. But I was thinking about it. So this bachelor party that I missed uh, GP Atlanta for that wedding is actually the same day as the LAL. Oh, so you're gonna miss that too? Yeah, I won't be there. Why is this person your friend? Yeah, no, really. I know it's awful. It does suck. But uh, this is the first. I think this is the first LAL I'm missing. I think I've been to the other ones. Not that you'd know from looking at the top eight, but. You know what? Uh, yeah. You would you would see by looking at seventeenth place. Yeah, I'm consistently X X two or X three or whatever doesn't make it. But we uh yeah, hopefully you can represent. Uh I recommend I like this Bryant idea. I'm probably uh, just gonna end up being lazy and playing Death and Taxes again. Let's be serious. <laughs> I it's I'm gonna push it pull it off to like push it off until the last minute and then make my decisions based off of what I have sleeved. Well, who could you dress up as for death and taxes? Uh, see, I don't know. I don't think I can pull off like a Thomas Edelson. No? No. I probably can't pull off Bryant either, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'd be tough. So, yeah, the, just real quick, the the, top eight, the the majority of this episode is going to be our Throne of Eldraine set review, but the top eight of the Legacy Challenge was uh, Doom Wake won it with Blue White Blade. Uh, Dredge, LED Dredge, Sharkcaster Mage was second place, followed by Black Red and Grixis Control, straight Grixis Control, no Ren. And then Bug Depths, Eldrazi Stompy, Tess, and the Blue White Red Mentor deck. Yeah, which is and, a pretty, uh, pretty Lu- cool looking top eight. Lunil, the Bug Depths player, was in our Discord talking about their performance after, after the challenge. Yeah, and, sick. I saw that. Yeah. So give them a shout out too. No, definitely. And then in uh, Barcelona, uh, Joan Hernandez took it down with uh, Ant over. I don't. I don't know if it's called Ice Station Zebra. Like I don't know what the markers are specifically, but Reanimator Depths. It didn't. It didn't quite look like the Ice Station list I'd seen before. So, I'm just gonna call it Reanimator Depths uh, with Goblins and Blue Red Delver in the top four. Okay. And, and then. Uh, the four color snow deck, blue white red mentor, ant and painter, rounding that out. So pretty heavy combo. Yeah. Do we know how many people played in this tournament? The MKM. Yeah. I want to say it was one twenty something, but okay. Let me do- let I mean me that's not terrible. That. Anytime um, this is just such a such a terrible bias, but anytime I see <laughs> goblins in top eight, I'm like, how many people were at that tournament? Eight, and yeah. I feel like Goblins has had a a few pretty decent finishes though recently, right? I it mean, like it has were, popped up a few times in the last month or so. Yeah, there were a couple in uh Whoa dude. Uh never mind. What? I was gonna say there were only sixty players in the uh MKM, but I that was uh not counting people who dropped. So oh, there okay. are there okay. are eighty seven people in there at round two. So somewhere Somewhere in that range. I understand. 87, yeah. Yeah, so that's that. And I think uh, unless you have other items to add to the agenda, I think that brings us to our Throne of Eldraine set. No, let's talk about it. I'm excited. 
Can we play the uh, So Many Insane Plays music right now? Do, do, do. Do, do. We're going to cut to it, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to be like, and now at the dead format, we're back with the Throne of Eldraine Legacy Set Review. Well, we got to start with the report card for the previous set. Oh, yeah. Are we going to we're gonna take the time to go back and listen? <laughs> no. No, we're not. That's the answer no. to that. We, we both said that Ren and Six was the most powerful card in the set, so we got that right. Yeah, I mean, like... I I was a little too hyped on Prismatic Vista, but I was also very hyped on Ren. I didn't, even though I was very hyped on Ren, I didn't think it was going to do what it did now, like what it has done. So we still undersold it, no matter how hyped we were, we were about it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, let's talk about these new cards. There's a lot. Yeah, th- well, there's a lot. There are definitely a lot of cards to discuss, but there's also... I don't feel like there's any, compared to the last few sets we've had, compared to War of the Spark specifically and Modern Horizons, this isn't like that. This isn't like, you know, you know smack the metagame around and leave it, you know. I mean, there might be there might be a few. Yeah, there are a few cards that, that are worthy of play, but I'm just saying this is more like a, a regular set, right? This is more like a return to normalcy, I would say. Okay, I could agree with that. So we've had... Uh, the set's been on Moto for, I don't know, somewhere around 96 hours at this point. And for results, the only card that I've really seen pop up is Mystic Sanctuary. A lot of people playing with that card. Yeah, the fetchable. For everybody who doesn't know what it does, it is a fetchable island. And it has a clause where it comes into play tapped if you don't have three or more islands. And if it comes in untapped then you get to take an instant or sorcery from your graveyard, put it on top of your library. So you can yeah. set up set up some great things with it, and the fact that you can fetch it at instant speed can can do quite a bit of work. Yeah, and just to clarify, it's three uh, other islands, so it has to be your fourth land. Oh, because it counts as an island, and it doesn't count itself. Yeah, okay. and, and also, um, you don't get to... It doesn't come in ta- on tap, and you don't get to use the uh, put it back on top of your library ability if it doesn't come in on tap. So it really has to be turn four. Otherwise, you're just playing, you know, a, a tapped island. So it's it's really uh, someone described it as like a mystical tutor. I is that that's the one, right? That puts a spell. On well, top of your deck. so mystical tutor gets it from your deck and tucks it on top. Yeah. Uh, this just gets it from your graveyard. So I think that I think similar. that's a little generous, but the cost to put it in your deck is really low, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how tight you are on mana. Depends on how many blue sources you have. It depends on. It depends on a lot, especially in legacy, considering it's non-basic. So, it is it is lower than a spell, I would say. Yeah. So basically, the only deck that I've seen people messing with is, is miracles. It seems like the obvious home, right? For sure. That would be the one that I would start with first, just because being able to like recycle your termini terminuses, tuck them back on top just seems, seems very powerful. Yeah. It's sick. And you can do instant speed stuff too. Like you can, you know, lethal attacks come in you can fetch this out put Terminus on top, cast Brainstorm, and there it is, you know? Yep. Like, you can do all sorts of tricks 
with it, it, it really facilitates a lot of a lot of interesting lines just having it in your deck. Mm-hmm. But it does have like sort of that that clunkiness. Like if you actually draw it as one of your islands, like one of the really strong points of miracles right now is just being able to play basics. So it's really not a card you want to draw, right? Right, and it's tough because you like it's not basic lands that it counts it's specifically islands right. so if you're playing miracles and you're playing a ton of basics and you want access to your white you're not talking turn four you're talking later exactly but then again you also have to fill up the graveyard with the, the spells you want so you have to get a terminus in your graveyard somehow so it kind of lends itself to the super late game you know okay yep it's uh it's an interesting card I don't see it going into like Stoneblade or anything like that is I guess what I was trying to get at or like a Grixis control or anything like that. I, I see this solely being for miracles right now, unless, unless there's some deck yet to be found because I, I don't think that it slots into any of the current builds or anything else. I, I can definitely agree with that. So yeah, that seems like the, the clearest hit to me. That was a card that I don't think that either of us were going to argue about the, uh, the potential of it. Mm-hmm. So the next card, the next most discussed card I've seen is Once Upon a Time. I've seen a, a few people really getting hyped about this card. And if you want to try to sell me on it, man, because I don't know. Okay, so it's a potentially free spell that provides selection enough in the decks that want it. I think... You could talk slam dunk if you are talking about a deck like Modern Tron. Okay. Where, like, I, I mean, I think that's where this card probably shines the most. But in, I could see that for sure. In in Legacy... Well, hold on. We should tell people what it is first. Okay, so it's a one in a green instant. And if it's the first spell you've cast during this game, it's free. And you look at the top five cards of your library and you get a creature or a land and you put the rest on the bottom in a random order. So it basically like impulses to get you a land or a creature. Yeah. And in green, you're you're playing a lot of a lot of strategies that rely on lands like depths or like unique creature strategies with they use the green suns in the package. So the selection there can help you. Uh, I think this de- this card probably best fits into depths. You take you take a card that can theoretically fix your opening hand, and you make it free when it is in your opener, and it it just seems like like it it is powerful enough to try. Yeah, for for depths specifically. I can see that there is so there's there's different forks of depths now, right? There's there's like the turbo depths, and then there's the the various speeds of slower, and, and just sticking to uh, black green for the moment. Mm-hmm. There's so in the very fast turbo depths deck, yes, it would be nice to have that sort of selection because you you don't really have a lot of selection in that deck compared to the others. Yeah, but it, it does seem like your every every mana has to count, right? Because you're trying to, like, turn three people. So I wonder if, like, the the benefit of having it in your opening hand is worth the drawback of drawing it on, on turn one or two, right? Like, uh, where you can't actually... Or, sorry, turn two or three, I guess, your first draw step if you're on the, 
drama play. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how much it, it would just slow that deck down. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, make it spin wheels a little bit. Right, but then you're, you're casting it as part of your refill if your opponent takes care of your combo. So you, you, you still can draw it and it be dead or slow, but it mm. still makes your game after you combo first better. So even though even though it's more of a mid mid game card at that point, it, it still could be good enough. Right. Okay. So have you have you taken a look at any of the lists people have proposed? Like is it because the the card that you that I think of first when I'm thinking about it is uh Sylvan scrying, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what you know, like, what's it taking the place of in those lists? Have you seen that? Oh, uh, I have not. No, I haven't looked at any proposed list with it. So, because it's kind of weird. Like, if you look at your opener and you don't have a dark depths, you don't have a way to get a dark depths. But otherwise, it's a good hand. Like, you have, you know, Urborg discard hex mage or something along those lines. Yep. Uh, you can't really count on it finding something the way that the other land tutors would, right? So it, it kind of introduces... not It's not really a level of variance like a taxing probe did because you can you can still like dig through five cards and if it's not in the top five, you're five cards deeper towards what you're looking for. Right. But I, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm just... It seems good in theory, but I just have reservations about it. Okay. I can see that. I think that in shells that have more hits with Reclaimer and things like that, yeah, uh, it, it could definitely it could definitely be deserving of a look. You know what? Reclaimer I was totally not even thinking about. Reclaimer actually makes me want this more because that is a hit that can land tutor. I was thinking that you weren't going to be able to find your land tutors with this. I understand. Yeah, so just that's, that's having to be a, a creature... Good that yeah. you can cast off of it makes does make it quite a bit quite a bit more attractive. Yeah, so I mean I'm sure people are going to be fucking with it. It's one of the most expensive cards online right now from the set. Uh it's like 13 tickets or something. So obviously people are fucking with it and you said that's modern charm which I totally believe. Uh but that's also legacy too. So, you know, maybe it's uh maybe it's it's going to be the next It wouldn't surprise me if it was integrated into depths it just i just can't really see exactly how it works right i I need to play with it first yeah it's it it definitely takes a little bit of getting used to i do like the flavor of it though like with uh with the fairy tale or whatever this set's called like the theme of this set you You get to start off with once upon a time yeah i kind of like that it's cute i like it as well so that's pretty sweet but yeah, I really don't have like a strong opinion on that card. So, do you want to take the over on that? Uh, so I'm actually more hyped about the next card. Oh yeah. So this is one that that I think we both kind of lost it when we saw, and the listeners will probably already know what we're talking about. But you want to take this one? Yeah, the next one is Brazen Borrower, and it's an adventure that just bounces something for one in a blue. You get to return a non-land permanent in opponent control, so you can't bounce your own stuff with it. Instant speed, though. Instant, it is instant speed. And yep. off of the backside of the adventure, you get a 3-1 flash flying. Can only block creatures with flying. 3-1 fairy rogue for 1 and 2 blue. So 
you get sort of reminded of, as at click with the three cost three one flash flyer. But exactly. what I like about this is in blue base permission decks, a lot of the times in the early game, especially like the mid range base permission decks, think Stone Blade or or whatever shell that you're trying to play. The time before your counter magic is up and is when things slip through, and bounce spells that also function as win conditions can be great, right? You get to end step, bounce something, then you'll have the mana to be able to take care of on the way down, and you're not down a card because it just sort of sits in exile, and you can flash it in once you've got the game under control. So I don't think this slots into miracles. I see it more of going into a blue white stone blade shell if there's room. There might there might not even be room. There might there might be already better options, but I like the flexibility that this card gives for sure. Yeah, that's very well put. And flexibility is really the key. And also not, you know, cuz bounce feels so bad because you're ultimately going down a card if the game's going to continue for any amount of time, you know. Like uh, a a boomerang is card disadvantage on its face right? right unless unless you're really taking advantage of the tempo which you're not in stone blade uh not typically unless it's like a against elves or something where you can get a jet online but this card is not card disadvantage you just get to balance something and i mean you know merit lage like depths is a real scourge right now so it's not even card disadvantage at all against depths like this is straight two for one at you that get point. yeah you get to answer the depths and you have like an in reserve flash flying blocker that Beautiful. it it handles one permanently and then you get a chump block if you if you have other answers for it. Yeah, and you get to just chip in for some damage in the meantime. Yep. And like there's a ton of fairy synergies that like we could talk about. I don't want to get too deep into that, but I, I really like this card. Maybe I'm just thinking about how great it is in cube and I'm getting super excited about it, but this card has potential to see play in Legacy. No, I mean, so if it wasn't for True Name, I would 100% be like, this is a two of and this deck and that deck. But right now it's like, you know, people are like, should I play three or four True Names, you know? And it's it, it's like giving this consideration over True Name seems irresponsible, right? Because yeah. True Name is so much of what, what it's about. And like it's seeing, games. like it sees it sees uh, competition in that spot to, to click and a bunch of other three cost removal in that deck. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not a shoe in for sure, but I, I really like this card. I really so you know how we've talked a lot over the last year about like blue red the, the blue red problem of being able to answer uh permanents, like non creature permanents and how they sometimes play in a braid or if it's a bigger deck they'll play two of braids even sometimes mm-hmm. just to have have an answer to stuff like chalice in game one. Yeah. This card seems perfect for that, right? Like, like giving that that blue deck sort of an out to to permanents you don't expect to see game one before you have access to your sideboard. It seems like such a versatile card in that regard. Yeah, something it's, it's still clocks. Something know? like a legacy uh, red blue moon, exactly. Like, like a port of that deck where you have a ton of lock pieces and counter spells, so maybe. Maybe this is something that can slot in there to take care of things before you get your lockdown. Yeah, and if it wasn't for True Name, I would say this was a perfect three for the Blue Red Delver deck. But it's just, it's unfortunately, I just don't think it's going to get the get the room right now. Yep. All right. So your next one, I'm 
I'm surprised by this one. Okay, so the the reason I put this in our first list of what I'm calling hits is because I saw it pop up in a couple lists this weekend. Okay. Uh, this is Charming Prince. Char- it's a it's a human noble. It's one in a white for a two two, and when it comes in play, you get the option of either gaining three life, irrelevant, scrying two, pretty underwhelming, but it's something, or flickering a creature of yours so in death and taxes or or the humans deck like these vile decks where you have like this sort of wide array of creatures this kind of functions like a clone right i mean it it can it can it can like flicker a stoneforge flicker a flicker wisp uh at, you know any of the random utility like in the in the humans deck there's like freebooter or uh meddling mage or there, there's a ton of of creatures that you can target with this to reset them you know yeah I, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it as a one that's all okay i i don't think it's powerful enough for the human shell there are a few things that you might want to flicker but a lot of the time, you're using Thalia's lieutenant and other things to put counters on your creatures. And yeah. even though flickering a mage or a freebooter could be potentially very good, I think just a kind of standard 2-2 two, two for 2 isn't powerful enough to see play in that deck. And mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I, I haven't really played that deck. And in Death and Taxes, I think like the deck is sort of moving away from those Enter the Battlefield triggers. Like Obviously, Stoneforge and Flicker Whisper are great, but what else... What else do you see? And this card really, really doesn't do much on its own. It's not a lock piece. In fact, I think the Scry 2, Scry 2 is potentially better than the Flicker. Even though the Scry 2 is really boring. It so is really boring. Yeah. I just, I, I don't, I don't see Charming Prince breaking into death and taxes. I like the idea. I think it's flexible. I don't, I don't think that's something we want to look at for Legacy though. I wish I could remember who who was playing this weekend because I definitely saw it on Twitter that somebody had run a run a list and was pretty impressed with it, but I I can't recall. So I I think that it would probably be a little bit more impressive in humans, but I I don't know I don't know enough about that deck to really say. All right, so on to a card that I am more more comfortable, I guess, going to bat for, which is Stone Coil Serpent. I've actually opened this card. I went to a, a paper pre-release. I only played two rounds, but this was my uh, pre-release rare, and I've opened it twice online now. So this is just like the uh, the Endless One, the artifact version of Endless One. So it's just a X casting cost. But not not Neldrazi, and right. way better. And it has Reach, it has Trample, it has Protection for Multicolored Permanents. And I thought it was I Multicolored Spells. It. It's Multicolored Permanents. Or it might just be protection from multicolored, rather. We should make sure we get that right. Yeah, it, it protection is. from multicolored. Yeah, so that's uh, Colagon's command is the only multicolored protection that that I can think of that's is really relevant. Uh, Strix. Strix is a good one. Yeah. Ice Fang, Coddle, Quaddle. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot that you oh. don't really think of, right? Abrupt yeah. Decay. Abrupt Decay is a great one, man. I didn't think uh, of that. The, the other Black Green removal spell. Yeah, Assassin's so, Trophy. The, yeah, there's there's a lot. Yeah. 
But this card 100% seemed playable to me, just out the gate. Like, uh, the, the way that El the Endless One fits into the Eldrazi decks, it just seems like it fits into the uh, the Steel Overseer decks, right? Yep, I, I could definitely see that. It's it, obviously not as attractive. So I, I don't... I think that Elmus one is better in the Eldrazi builds just because of the mana reduction that you see. Because of Eldrazi like Temple, that. yeah. Yeah, and Eldrazi Temple. Uh, Stone Coil could be extremely flexible. I don't know how good it's going to be. Like, it seems very good in that deck, but that's where it stops, and I don't know how good that deck is. So. Yeah, I mean, that's really the, the only application, but it's, it's a deck that has done well in the past, and it's a deck that would certainly... Be interested in some number of these right they can block delvers they you know the, the reach and the trample are, are both things that that deck is interested in so yep i think that uh i think this card definitely has legs definitely relevant worth keeping around yeah so there's another card those were those were all that i had for hits like cards that i've definitely seen uh either in a list so far mm -hmm. or was pretty sure that they were going to be in a list mm. So really, the card that I really think is going to break everything and like Legacy is going to be done because of it um, is Vantress Gargoyle, right? Oh, Vantress Gargoyle? I forgot about that one. Sorry, I'm it's just saying. All right. So the card that I put in hits question mark, Yep. But, but I would personally put in my own hit list and hopefully we can argue over this one i haven't talked to you specifically about this one yet but wishclaw talisman absolutely you like it i do oh motherfucker <laughs> so also, we've agreed on almost everything so far except charming prince so what do you think about wishclaw talisman what's your uh what's your use case uh so i think that if you're dealing with sort of a black spell based combo mm -hmm. combo deck Decks that would want to utilize something like Grim Tutor from back in the day. I know that the decks are like more efficient now to where they're not playing that. Then this card is just great. Um, the yeah, the ones that want to get Hellbent for Infernal Tutor too. Is that that's what you mean specifically? Yes. Yeah. And the the fact that you can be playing a combo deck that isn't going to let your opponent untap after you activate it is where you want to be with this deck, right? Like, you don't want to be playing, like, a mid-range deck where you're using this to, like, tutor up your bullets and then you give it to your opponent to use. Right. Um, you want to have some sort of either synergy with sacrificing it with the ability on the stack or um, or something else. Yeah, so the cards that come to mind for me, the first thing I thought of was Karn because... It, it gives the one-sided null rod the new Karn, the great whatever he is, creator. Yeah, and you get one use out of it, and then your opponent you get, can't do anything. Yeah, you get a tutor out of it, and your opponent can't use it. But then, uh, like, if you had a Karn in play, you have a tutor anyway. True. That is that's a good point. So I thought about that card. I thought about uh, Welder and, and the new Engineer, I guess. But, mm -hmm. you know, ways to sacrifice it so you get a tutor and you get, like, a graveyard tutor out of it. Yep. So that would be pretty sick. And thirdly, and this one took a little while of thinking about, but do you remember the deck that, like, that I haven't seen it in a while, but that dude LeJay always used to be playing it was like that that blue black Omni deck where he, he used to play. He was playing Limdol's Vault. Yeah. Yeah. 
that actually to me seems like the perfect home for this card because that deck you're you're going omni into emercool and then taking the next turn so it doesn't matter if your opponent has the wish claw talisman or not right yep and you can actually use it in some pretty ridiculous ways i'm thinking like you you're an a plus b combo deck right but you can also use it to protect your show and tell going off or you know uh like if you draw extras of them they're not dead you know they can they can defend your critical turn so it just it seems like it's going to fit perfectly into that deck in my mind that i haven't actually played any games with it so i'm not sure how it's going to play out but that seems like the deck because you're not giving your opponent back a turn yeah where you could could use this best it it does give you kind of like a two-mana play that's must to deal with because right. letting letting your Omnitel opponent like tutor on their next turn is not going to turn out very good for you. Exactly. And yeah, exactly. And they had like a Lindul's Vault and sometimes Baleful Strix because yeah, exactly what you're saying. The turn two was sort of a gap for them, right? There's Impulse or, you know, there's Double Cantrip or, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like Spell Pierce. But ultimately... This, you know, you can just put it in play and sort of forget about it and just just crack it if you need to. You know, sometimes yep. that deck can win with four cards and you don't you don't need your extra cards, so it can just sort of be protection against like a worst case scenario going off. But and then ultimately, let's say you don't kill them on, on your extra turn with, with Emrakul and you're sort of out of out of ways to go, you're mm-hmm. still gonna kill it with the Annihilator trigger, so You're you're right. It, it just seems like a natural home for it, and I, I, I won't be surprised at all if people start trying that out. Okay. But yeah, how it fits into, like, Ant, it seems to me like it would, because you're, you know... I mean, Ant, Ant the main deck space is so tight right now. That's the problem, right? I'm not going to say, like, I, I think it'll go into this spot or that spot, because I, you, I just You could don't theoretically know. see it if, like, the minimum deck size was 80 cards, for sure. But it's it's unknown whether or not it's powerful enough to see play yet right well i think it's i think it's like on an abstract level it's definitely powerful enough but it it might not be efficient enough right okay that might just be sure yeah 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 you're right yeah so it's definitely an effect they want i guess is what i'm trying to say but yeah i mean it's i'm not gonna be the one that breaks that you know it's definitely not going to be me, but I I wouldn't be surprised to see that either. But I, I think this is definitely... I would call it the most powerful card in the set, whether or not it, it has an immediate home is, is hmm. what remains to be seen. Okay. I, I don't... Maybe, maybe it is. I was about to say, I don't think that it's the most powerful card in the set. But this set is really kind of toned down, yeah. Compared to compared to some of the other sets we've seen recently, yeah. And then there's stuff too, like uh, like the key, like a uh, voltaic key, seeing where you can the... you can untap, yeah, yeah. Yep. I don't know, man. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see this card doing stuff, and it might take a little while because there's not a ton of people hammering on Legacy right now, you know. So it might take until the next big event for for the sort of the decks to really emerge with this card but i expect to see it in the long run yeah we're we're in kind of a lull event wise we had our big ones already yeah. syracuse and the grand prix are done so now it's just the people who love legacy 
and the grinders and the streamers just sort of hammering it out. And then everybody else will hop back in when it when it has some big events coming up. Exactly. But this is our time right now. This is our time to shine. So the next card, Glass Casket, I just wanted to give it a shout out. It it's silk wrap, right? Like it, it already the effect already existed. It's one in a white for an artifact that exiles a creature until it leaves play. The creature has to be uh three or less. Yep. So where, I, I just where think where do that, you see this? Sorry? Like where do you see this? Oh, uh, showing up? Yeah. It, it, so it's uh it's an artifact version of that card silk wrap, so I can see it being like a, a Karn sideboard target for a deck that was in white and playing Karn Great Creator. So like Bomberman. Exactly. Okay. Or or even if like uh like a white Eldrazi variant uh took on Great Creator. Okay. So I feel like it you know, it has a, a small home in those decks. So that's okay. why I put it here. So um, I I disagree on that card, okay. but that's that's just picking nits. What do you got? Uh, I mean I don't have anything else. I just I don't think I don't think that card's very good. I mean it's not it's not great. It's not source of plowshares or anything like that. But if you're in a chalice deck already, and you care about artifacts, it just seems like like a relevant piece that we didn't have before. Okay. I mean so, I I think of it as like sideboard option at best. Yeah. So the other card, actually, that I would put in contention for the most powerful card in the set is uh, Emery Lurker of the Locks. It does so much. Yeah. You want to read it? It's two and a blue for a legendary creature. The cost is reduced by one colorless for each artifact you control. So if you go something like Seed of the Synod, Chrome Mox or Mox Diamonds, you're casting this for a single mana, for just a blue mana. And it's a 1-2 creature, and you can tap it to cast an artifact card from your graveyard each turn. Oh, and when it comes to play, it mills four. Yeah, it's it's weird. It it does a ton, but when you look at the abilities, you're like, it, I mean, even if this cost one mana, is this really that powerful? Right? So what type of shell, I agree with you, I think this card is going to be great, but what type of shell does this really want to go into? It'll be like the Tezzerator deck, right? Like that that sort of traditional shell, like the, the blue-black chalice deck with with both eggs, like, you know, you have your, your Crow Moxes or your Mox Diamonds and your... Uh, potentially Mishra's baubles or different baubles like that for just cheap things that it can cast right away and get you up cards. But also like the, uh, you know, the, the transmute artifact and the package that comes along with that is like the, the high impactful artifacts. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like if you're playing baubles, you're, you're already taking your deck in just a, like a completely different direction. And then maybe, Tesserator. well, yeah, then Tesserator. Like Tesserator to me seems like, like the mid-range artifact combo, right? And this seems like it's it's going into, into a different place. I don't know. I could, uh, I could I could see this going into Bomberman if Bomberman wanted to splash blue. 
Yeah, so that's the other the other direction, I guess, would be like a blue white, right? And maybe this just breaks Thopter Sword to make a blue white Thopter Sword deck really break into Legacy, but we'll see. Man, I wish I had thought about that. I actually don't even think about blue black decks. Yeah, I, interesting. Though. Yeah, I just I, that's that's the first thing that popped into my head when I saw this card. So it does a ton. We're probably completely missing some some shells that it can go into, but I I would start with this card in a blue-white Thopter Sword shell and then see where it goes from there. The other card that I immediately think of is Urza, right? Like, we've seen a bunch of people try the Urza decks, like Blue Chalice decks. Right, and I mean, I think the most successful Urza decks have been the Thopter Sword ones, right? Yeah, definitely uh, definitely in contention. I think of the 5-0s we've seen, that has been half of them. So... This deck, this card specifically with Urza and Psy Master Thopterist, uh, I, I look forward to seeing what people come up with. Maybe they'll play that in the, the LAL. Yeah, go for it, bro. So, Robber of the Rich. Ugh. <laughs> it's a one and a red for a 2-2. Two, two. With haste and fucking reach randomly. I have no idea why it has reach, but... Because it's walking upside down. Look at it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. But it it basically is uh, Robin Hood, right? It's, uh, it's a rogue. And it does like the Thief of Sanity, so... But uh, it, do- it doesn't really. No, it doesn't really, because... You have to have attacked with a rogue on that turn to cast the card without paying its mana cost. And your opponent has to have more cards than you. Oh, I forgot about that clause, too. Yeah, your opponent has to have more cards in hand than you. So you kind of have to spew your hand out, too. So the only deck where I see this potentially playing is like the the Simeon Spirit Guy Blood Moon deck, right? Okay. Um, I... I think that that deck isn't really super looking for two drop threats. Yeah, I'm not in on this card, by the way. I don't actually like this one. Yeah, I I, I saw this card and I read it and I was like, eh, I don't know. So I, the thing is, Thief of Sanity, I didn't like either. And that did show up for a while. So I felt like I should give this card, you know, at least, uh, at least let people consider it. Okay. Like, I, think, I think the three, I think this competes directly for really tight spots in that deck and i think the three drop goblin generating attackers are just way better yep and the challengers and stuff they're they're certainly not low on threats you know yeah and one in a red is a really awkward casting cost in that deck true because you have all soul lands and red sources so like this could easily cost three and you're casting it on the same turn exactly one in a red, two in a red is like the same thing for them. So yeah, I, I feel you on that. It, it does seem kind of awkward, but uh, people have been talking about it, so I feel like it deserved a shout. Okay. So the next card, I I brought up a couple weeks ago, Drown in the Lock, and after playing with it, I'm a lot less sold on it than I was two weeks ago. Okay, I was I, I could see the potential... 
And I understand that in Legacy, you're going to have more cards in, in your opponent's graveyard and in your graveyard than in Limited. But I still feel, feel like the fail rate for this card is kind of high. And yeah. it's it's two colored mana. And even though black-blue is fairly easy to get in those in those mid-range shells, I I see that it could see play, but I would probably start off with different options. It's not yeah. a card you can take a look at and like, oh wow, this card is broken in this shell. It's just it's gonna be a one it's gonna be a one of flex spot in some decks that play that color combination, and it's gonna be okay. But at some points, it's you're gonna look at it in your hand and wish it was anything else. Yeah, exactly. And I've already had that experience plenty of times now on Limited. And it's just like, I didn't really consider when I was thinking about this card, I was thinking about, you know, decks like playing against Ant or, you know, playing Delver Mirrors or, or playing against like uh, Grixis Control. I was thinking about decks like that. I wasn't really thinking about like the, the Blood Moons and the Death and Taxes of the world. and Decks that aren't naturally putting more than you know, zero to one card in their graveyard in the first three turns, you know? Mm -hmm. And you could really get stuck with this card and you end up under Athalia or something and, you know, not being able to get this off before your waist landed. It's a lot more awkward than I thought when I read it. it. It seemed trivial to me to get like one or two cards in the graveyard and that's all I felt it was needed. Mm -hmm. But it's actually, a, you know, a, a bit more of a concern than I, I thought at first glance. Okay, I understand. So yeah, the the first card that really sort of got my attention from this set during spoiler season was the Royal Scions. Uh, Planeswalker, one blue-red for a five-loyalty Planeswalker. So three-drop, five-loyalty with two-plus abilities. You can plus to give a creature, plus two, plus L, and trample. Mm -hmm. And, and first strike. First strike, yep. Or you can plus two uh, draw and discard, like a looting. Yeah, but like, okay, it comes into play with a ton of loyalty. That's great. Yeah. It's got a plus loot. That's meh. That second ability is great if you're playing Arcanist. Right. But really, like, what what does that what does that do otherwise? Not a ton, right? I mean, it kind of has to be in a blue-red deck with a lot of creatures. Like, it's not it's not ideal for... Like, we've seen Dak Faden show up from time to time, right? Yeah, but Dak... I mean, Dak does a hell of a lot more than, than right. these guys. I don't like this card in Legacy. No, the more I consider it, the less I like it now. Like, when I first saw it, I was really excited to try it out in blue-red. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, I guess I'll try it just for shits and giggles, but I don't feel like it's going to be that great. Okay. I, I'm yeah I'm on I'm on that side for sure so the big considerations for me are like Marset you know like uh not being able to use the the draw card on your turn ability like okay. you you can't you can't use like you know people use DAC with stuff like uh notion thief or uh Leoval to really to target your opponent. opponent right yeah and you, you can't do any of those sort of tricks with this card so that avenue is cut off. And then if you don't have a creature in play, you know, like against a deck like Miracles or something, what does this card do? It doesn't get you the advantage that a Planeswalker should. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you're actually drawing cards. Obviously, looting is better than not being able to loot. But right. it, it kind of just spins its wheels too much. 
if it gave the creature haste as part of the possibility, that would actually, I think, I mean, maybe. I, I still don't too. think it changes my evaluation of it. Yeah, I, I'm not really as excited as I thought I was about this card. So, okay. Uh, the the ultimate for for the sake of it is uh, minus eight and draws a bunch of cards. Oh yeah, when you ultimate a planeswalker, you should probably win the game. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. So, so you know about Hushbringer? Hushbringer. Shh. No, I don't Shh. actually. It's a one in a white for a flying lifelink one two. Oh, three. is this the artwork that I have no idea whether or not it should be like turned on or horrified? Oh, it's got I don't like know. three three sets of lips and like. Like really? a red circle. I gotta check this out now. Is that what that is? I don't know. I I don't like this card though. Oh yeah, those are whips. I mean, I thought it was roses in the background. Mm, no. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but bro. It, it's weird that like you take a card like this, which you're like, oh man. This is going to be a great death. Oh, wait a minute. No, no, not at all. And you you take a look at what's actually happening. And you're just shutting off all the ETB triggers. Yeah. So if you, I, I guess, like, if if you don't want to play Containment Priest for whatever reason, you can bring this card in against Elves. Uh, you The Dying Clause actually matters in some matchups. But, like, I don't know about this card. I just, I think of one thing. I think of Stifle Knot. Like, this is a Torpor Orb, right? Okay. So, I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't thinking about, like, Death and Taxes or, like, Fair Dex or anything. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about just, like, a a potential Stifle Knot enabler in this card. I mean, sure. You can do that. I just, I feel like this card's bad. It's probably not so bad, but, like... Even in Stifle Knot, oh, you get your you get your Dreadnought, and then your opponent kills your Dreadnought, and you're stuck with a one two flying lifelink for two. I mean, it does shut off shit like Snapcaster and stuff like that. Like it does have it does have some utility. So if you're playing a deck where you don't have any any positive ETB triggers, it's it's I wouldn't call it worth a card exactly. Like it has to be enabling something broken like the Dreadnought. Yep, but. It's it, maybe three quarters of a card, I would call it. So it's not like as dead weight as putting something like Torbor Orb in your deck, for example. You know, like a, a one-two flying lifelink is at least something, right? Okay. Compared to a Torbor Orb. Yeah. So. I would not consider playing that either. I'm just. I <laughs> No. I, yeah. Uh, Torbor Orb is just, is, is not worth it, right? I mean, it's, it's objectively just not good, but I don't know, man. I think that this card is gonna show up at some point in the staff deck, that's all. Okay. I think two cards down. That that card is definitely worth talking about. Bro, so this is this is my hill to die on for this set. Everybody was talking about this fucking card and I just I don't see it. So the card we're talking about is Deafening Silence. And it locks both players out from playing more than one non creature spell each turn. Just for one white. It's an enchantment that sticks around. I think that this card is way better than Hushbringer. 
I mean, it's, it'll see more play in sideboards for sure. Like over the course of the next three months, we'll see it pop up more. Okay. Absolutely. So you see, you see a white enchantment that taxes spell-based combo and cantrip decks. Yeah. And even though it's not a creature that has that ability stapled onto it, you've, you've seen cards see play in legacy throughout the years that do this for three mana, and they seem play. Rule of Law? I mean, Rule of Law, Arcane Lab, the Eidolon, the 1-4 Eidolon that costs two and a white. So, with all three of those cards that you just mentioned, yep. they all showed up and then disappeared. Okay, but they cost three. This costs one-third. The Eidolon was one and a blue, or one and a white, I think, right? No, it was two. It was two oh, okay. and a white. My bad. I think it was a 1-4 for 2 and a white. I could be wrong about that. I'm fairly certain it was 3. Okay. Uh, but cards that do a similar effect have seen play at triple the mana cost. And that to me is something that like, alright, I'm not building a deck around this. But I'm saying this has the ability to do powerful things. Yeah, a certain chat, I'm not going to name any names, a certain chat we were in referred to this card as paradigm shifting. I, I wouldn't go that far. No, I, I thought of this as like a card that I would put in my maybe board in case I was playing like mono white and it got it got we got to a place where spell based combo was like a like decks like Tess and, and Black Red, like really, really fast combo was, you know, taking up twenty percent of the meta or something like that. Then I would consider this card, but Otherwise, I mean, it's it's not a body the way Canon Mist is. Mm-hmm. One upside for this card is, is you, you can, can play, play a turn it. one on the play. Well, yes, that's the big that's <laughs> the, the big one for the really fast combo decks. But I was going to say for Blue White Stoneblade, is doesn't turn off your Snapcaster the way Canon Mist does. That's true. So that is kind of cool, but there's nothing more frustrating than. You know, getting getting screwed by your own canonist in Blue White Stoneblade, and I've I've cut down uh, my numbers of those because of that reason. So I I guess it would warrant consideration in that deck too. But ultimately, like, would you bring this in as like a value play against like Grixis Control or something? Mm, probably not. No, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't think so. So it's basically solely aimed at at, at decks like Storm, right? Well, fast spell based combo. Right. Or or decks that heavily rely on cantrips. Well, yeah. So that's, I guess, what I'm saying. Like, Would you bring this in against Sneak and Shell? Depends on what my sideboard bath looks like. Yeah. There's a very, very, very good chance... Because you have, you usually, when you're playing white decks against Sneak and Show, you have so much dead space that being able to play this could severely slow down your opponent. But obviously, right. this is not the answer that you want. Right. So. Yeah, it just doesn't seem versatile enough to me. And, like, certainly if the if the meta were to shift in, that, in the direction where, like, the decks that we've discussed before yep. are taking up significant meta space, like, 
you know, some of the top predators tier one decks. Yep. Then I could I could see it showing up, but I just feel like this this card will show up. People won't bring it in too often. They'll eventually cut them, and then it'll sort of fade into obscurity and show up once in a while as a one of in the sideboards. But, okay. I think that this card is going to see significantly more play than a card like Glass Casket. So I was standing up for it. All right. Yeah, that, that's that, fair. That was a shot. That's fair. I'll give you that. Certainly at first, I think it will. Uh, but a year from now, do you expect to see like Deafening Silence on a lot of sideboards? I don't know. In a lot? No, absolutely not. So yeah, the only other card in our hits question mark, the... Uh, the second list here is mystical dispute i've gone back and forth on how i feel about this card so it's two and a blue for mana leak but if it's targeting a blue spell then it just costs blue so it's kind of like a bad red blast that any blue deck can play you don't it doesn't have red in its casting costs and it's it's just a blue hoser right yeah but i think i don't know i'm not gonna play it I it's think like, that it's it's fail rate against non-blue, with non-blue being a pretty big part of the meta. Uh, right. So that's the big thing. Is like forty-one percent of the format right now is non-blue. This is something we've been discussing for a few weeks now. We're as non-blue as we've been in in the past five years. So yeah, if we were if this if this card was printed like four years ago, yeah, slam it. Right. Just shove it in. Right there now. Is, yeah. yeah. There is one situation that I thought about is when you are playing, let's say you're playing against Grixis Control and you have a red blast because you bring them in, obviously, and you know that's like the last card in your hand or whatever, and they draw like a Colagon's Command or something, and you can't hit it with your with your red blast. That's kind of frustrating, and this card does let you hit spells that are bring it in for a blue deck, but let you hit spells that aren't blue. So it does kind of have that angle on Red Blast. I still don't think I would ever play this card in a deck that had Red because that Red Blast is just better. But, 100% agree. But I do see if I'm in specifically like blue-white looking for ways to hate blue and not splash red or something like that, then I could see this card warranting consideration. Yep. So yeah, then on to cards that I'm, I really don't like. Um, <laughs> you don't like this one? Which Bone Crusher Giant? Yeah. You you talked about uh, Robber of the Rich in Mono Red Shells. You don't <laughs> think this could see play? Oh, that's interesting, man. I don't know why the fuck I didn't think about Mono Red. That's the only thing that I thought about when I saw this card. Oh man, I, see, I was thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about like Wild Slash, how they used to see play in, in Delver decks to kill. Uh, opposing true names and they block anglers and shit. Yep. And that just got in my head is is like uh, sort of fair decks playing this card. I hadn't really thought about chalice decks. Yeah, well you got you got that sweet spot for the mono red deck. It's two and a red, right? And you get this added flexibility because you don't have to stomp. Like if you have a hand that is like chalice blood moon based and you have this guy sort of hanging out, you Hey just play it out. You just play it out. And oh man, I do like this card now. It gives you it gives you a little bit of extra flexibility with having that stomp. Yeah, you have a removal spell now. Yeah, and it's flexible enough to close games quick. So that's the only shell that I thought about this in. Man, I don't know how the fuck I missed that. I, I do actually kind of like this now. 
I didn't even think about that. So yeah, I would definitely move this up to the above list. What Unhappy. about what, what about, about what about Torbran? I'm just kidding. I can't. I can't make an argument for that card, even though I really <laughs> like it. Look at this guy. He's a badass. Yeah. Uh, Ambreath Shieldbreaker, though. So it's, uh... I this card wasn't on my radar at all. In fact, like I need to read it. So it's it's a uncommon. It's one in a red for a two one knight, but it has uh, the single red shatter effect as its adventure. I don't. So I think I think one of the problems, right, mm. is that if you want artifact hate, a lot of the time you want to use it to remove chalices. So having something that's a one red removal for chalice doesn't work super well unless it has replicate so like to me the fact that you can sort of get value off of a a a two one for two isn't enough for me to want to play this card yeah i was kind of thinking that the casting cost got around chalice so i was probably wrong about that um i was thinking about uh goblin crater maker like that sort of role for this card so I thought, and I could be wrong. No, you're that, probably right. That probably when you is cast the adventure stat, sorcery, yeah. it's the converted mana cost of the. It's got to be. Yeah, I mean, if if I'm wrong about that, then this card gets a little bit better, but I don't think it's too much better. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And the other card is Castle Locked Lane. Do you know this one? Uh, that's the Black Land. That's the one where you get to like tap it and draw cards and lose yeah. life. I, yeah. So I like this card. I actually do. And maybe I just think a little bit too much about Pox because of my buddy Matt. But... Yeah. I, I can see it there. So it's one black black and tap it to draw a card and then lose life equal to the cards in your hand. So if you're Hellbang, you're just paying one life to draw a card. So it's kind of like a like a late game for Exian Arena for Pox or whatever, you know? Yeah, and you get to you get to instant speed it, so like right. you're unlikely to have the mana to be able to activate it, and then play your spell. So you can just sort of like save that ability until your opponent's end step, and then you get your card, you get your draw step, and then you can go nuts. Or so I think I think the reason I don't pops. like it is because I've always been an ensnaring bridge kind of pox player. Okay, and this this goes against that sort of principle like that you know you don't want to have two cards in hand in case you get stuck with them okay so that's sort of why i dismissed that but i can see it you know i, I can see it you, you do want to get up on cards and box but also you typically don't have ways to gain life and you can your life total can really be in peril with that deck it's true it, it obviously depends on the matchup but obviously this card is going to be great in like standard black red black oh, aggro yeah. This but, is Underworld Connections or whatever the fuck it's called, right? <laughs> uh, it's um, it's it's definitely one of the better playable lands to come out of this cycle. Yeah, uh, the the blue one is like the same sort of cost setup that it scries to. Mm-hmm. I don't know the the white one makes a one one. I don't even know what the other ones do. The green the green mana. Uh, ha- the green ramps you a little bit when you're casting creature spells. The red one like pumps your team, um, and makes some tokens. 
The blue scry one? I mean, I don't hate it. I don't think it's great. It just seems like really ambitious to waste a like a non-basic have to play a non-basic land. True. Like true. Just to scry, I don't know. I I don't hate it. Like I know what you're saying. Like it it does appeal to me as a card. I'm sure I'm certainly gonna play it in cube at some point, but it doesn't seem like a, like a legacy caliber card exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, the Castle Ardenvale just seems like seems like a like a better or more fixed. Um, what's that card from Alliances? Caliber Outpost. Yeah, Outpost. Yeah. So yeah. I like the idea. I don't know if it's actually going to see play in Legacy, but right. the idea is good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do. Uh... I don't think it'll see play in Legacy, but I do like the card, yeah. Okay. So, Questing Beast, we so talked about it. So much text. Yeah, we talked about it a couple times now. So, I want to apologize because I called out the design team at Wizards of the Coast for making a legendary creature that seemed very vanilla, but apparently I am not tuned in to my Arturian, Arthurian, it's Arturian, right? Uh, I don't even know what you're talking about. So, Questing Beast in the Legend of King Arthur actually is like a single mythical creature just called Questing Beast. So it's it is fucking lame. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. So I dumped on it, and it's it's actually a creature of legend for sure. And I just I feel know. like that's a translation error. I mean, like, talk to whoever translates Old English. Maybe it was, like, equestrian beast, and they used to ride around on a horse, and they just fucking messed it up. Probably not, but I was wrong. Anyway. uh, So, the the questing beast, how many times have you heard this? Oh, it it deals with true Nanya. Well, I mean, like, it, it doesn't really deal with it. No. But... But it it lines up well head to head against it. I think I'd I think I'd probably rather have the five four pro blue can't be countered. I think I would rather have exactly. I would think I would rather have ceratops. After much consideration about it, I think I'd just rather have shifting ceratops. There we go. So yeah, kinda is what it is, I guess. The the next card actually I kinda got got hung up on this card, man. Ironcrag Pyromancer. Uh, I missed it. The... I missed it in spoilers, but I, I played against it in a draft. It I it's a two and a red for an O four. <laughs> yeah. And then it when is. you when you draw your second card each turn, you get to bolt something, anything. So like three mana O four. Right. Three mana O four. Three mana in legacy. You can just get so much more. Yeah. No, that's not like a yeah, that's a yeah. Well, you can get so much more. Like, you can get a true name or you can get a monster mentor. But you can't, like, what What can you get, like, in this sort of style, right? Like, in this sort of sit-back, controly, bulky, Bl- like, Karen style. Well, yeah, Blood Moon. Like, like just that, anything, anything in Legacy that costs three is just going to be better than this. 
So what I was going back to here was our mythical blue-red moon deck that we've been talking about since episode one. <laughs> the all and, three drops all the time. Yeah, all, always. So, so where does this rank on the moons. three drops for that deck? It ranks like 900th. No, you have like it's at Click least it's and at True least Name sixth. and Blood yeah. Moon. At least 6th? Oh, yeah. man. It's at least 6th. But... It's probably still not good enough, but when I when I did play against it, I was like, whoa, can I do something with this? But ultimately, you wind up on the miss list because I don't think you can. Yep. It's just it's just one too many mana. If it was two mana, fucking game changer, but three mana is a lot to ask. It is an 0-4, which is nice, but ultimately, you're just going to block an Arcanist and get bolted, so it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, I, I don't like this card. The only other card then that I wanted to discuss is Fae of Wishes. Now, Sell me on this card. That is So you know what I like? I I don't I'm not saying I like it for legacy, but I like Hypnotic Sprite more than I like this card. Bro, Hypnotic Sprite is a pretty sick card. Now I wish I wish the casting cost was a little different on that, like to actually make it playable. The three on the front side is just a yeah. little bit too much, but so if it was if it was inverted, do you think it would just be instantly good? Uh, I think if they were both two, I would be talking about it a lot more. If they were both two, yeah, it would just yeah. be strictly better. I, I think if, if you they were inverted, flipped, the it would cost be better. But yeah, I, I, I still be don't think too. it would, would actually be good enough. So really quick for everybody, hypnotic sprite is a two-one flyer for blue blue. And the adventure is uh, two and a blue to counter a spell with CMC three or less, I believe. Yeah, I mean, if it was double blue for both, it would be it would be worth taking a look at. But it's not. Oh really. yeah, yeah. And even if it was the other way around, so you could counter the spell on on turn two, like sort of on curve, and then just have this potential two one flyer hanging around for for later consumption. Yep. I think that would be more interesting, but the fact that. To get value out of it, you have to pass on it as a threat for a while, and then get into a phase of the game where spells could cost more than three potentially. Mm-hmm. Like you're not hitting a, a blood moon on curve, or you know, any like you you are at way too big a risk of holding this card and and missing your chance with it. So yeah, I don't think it plays, but it is it is a pretty cool card. Okay, so I I got nothing to sell you on with Fay of Wishes. It, it's adventure side. It's four, and it's a sorcery. If it was instant, then, like, all right, we're talking. You, you're you not going to, like, expose yourself to be able to gr- go grab something from your sideboard for four mana and get it dazed or spell pierced, and then, like, you just completely lose your board position because your opponent is going to be able to, like, yeah. diddle all over you. And even the, even the actual, like, creature side of it, you get a 1-4 flyer for two, where you get to like discard cards to bounce it to your hand so you can cast that adventure again. This yeah. is not a legacy card. This is like a standard big mana card that uh I I I think is gonna see no play in legacy. Okay. I felt like uh we should at least talk about it because I saw it being discussed with regard to Omni. Okay. Like, uh, if you're not paying the mana. Sure, then- but like you can do a literally bunch of shit if it. you are not paying the mana, that could be anything. Oh, you that's this, the whole this argument, would be right? Great with an Omnium play, yeah. You're right, absolutely exactly. right, so yeah. fucking everything. That's basically everything, yeah. I'm not, I'm really not too excited about this card, so okay. 
Really, the card that I want to put my stamp on is the Talisman. Uh, okay. And I'm going to definitely play with the Borrower. And I might even fuck around with Emery. But that's about where it ends for me. So you don't think a card like Oko deserves any discussion? All right, bro, I got to be honest. I took one look at that art and I was like, I can't even read this card. What okay. does it do? Just because you were like, you were just looking at the abs and you're like, I feel this funny sensation. I'm pretty sure the ultimate was going to be. How do you really feel about Oko? I didn't read it. I'm not, I'm not joking. I know it makes a food token, right? Okay. Well, you, you can also like use it to like screw with your opponent's creatures. So you get to like make a food token and then steal, like swap it. Uh, it, the creature, the loyalty goes up to five, so you can use the second ability really quickly. You get to plus it to blank your opponent's creature to just make it a three-three. So it's um, like I felt like it's probably a little bit closer than some of the bottom cards that we had on this list, but I, I just wanted to mention it. Okay. Yeah, I I. I'm gonna leave that one to you. Okay. So yeah, overall, I, I'm I'm actually really happy to say that I think this is a return to the typical level of uh, of power we'd expect from a standard set, where mm-hmm. one or two cards. There's there's about five cards that'll see play in like a certain little slot, and then there's one or two cards that have potential to actually do something, but it's far from certain. And yep. I think that's a good spot to be, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we we got a little bombarded for a while, man. I was I was really feeling like I didn't know which one was up. You know, I'm I'm happy that it, we've seemed to calm down a little bit from that uh, that planeswalker mess we were in, and then Ren and Six and Plague Engineer. Oh, bro! One thing I didn't mention is Wishclaw Talisman with Teferi. You thought about uh... that at all? Yeah, but they can still use it on their turn. So you activate Wishclaw Talisman. They get okay. control of it. And oh, and then, then you bounce, bounce it, it to your own hand Ooh. and draw a card. Yeah, I mean, if you have a Teferi in play, you're probably winning anyway. Yeah, but it, it is something, you know, if Esper's ever a deck again, that's, that's, if <laughs> Ren gets what? banned. You're going to be all over it if it is. I'll be all over it, yep. Absolutely. All right, bro, you got any announcements? No. No. All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ian twenty five. You can find me at tsmileymtg and the cast at Dead Format Cast. Send us an email deadformatcast at gmail.com And uh, what else do we say? On Halloween, I'm going to be saying and visit theepicstorm.com. There you go. All right, that's a wrap, bro. <laughs>